0: Matthew chapter 6, and and I'll read verses 9 through 13, which, again, we've we've just sung this paraphrase of. But let's hear the word of our God again, remembering that Christ is teaching his disciples about prayer, teaching us not to pray like hypocrites would pray. And then he says in verse 9, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven... Father, we do thank you for this, this prayer your Son has given us to pray. We thank you uh, for its simplicity. We thank you for its clarity. And now we ask that you would, uh, by your Spirit, apply it to our hearts and lives so that we would be a people of prayer who pray with understanding, who come before you um, uh, with wisdom as we reach out to you as our Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we start looking then at, at the prayer itself, the Lord's Prayer itself. And as we start to do that, if, if you have it there in front of you, or if you have the, even the song we sang in front of you, you can see this as well, uh, that it is a, a, a beautifully put together hymn. It, 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 prayer, I mean. Uh, a beautifully put together prayer that our Lord gives us. It begins and ends with God, right? It begins with the request that God would be glorified, that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. And in essence, it ends with saying, all of these things are yours. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power so that your will can be done. And yours is the glory. Your name will be hallowed forever, and so as we look at this prayer of our lords one of the things that christ is having us do is remember where we are and where we're going where we are is that the kingdom of heaven has been uh begun as christ came in the flesh two thousand years ago and and came declaring the kingdom of heaven has arrived and yet we don't see it in all the the beauty of what uh, he describes as scripture talks about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. We have this image of a place where there are no tears, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no sorrow, uh, there is no sin. And that's why many of those other things are gone forever because only righteousness dwells there. That is the kingdom that we anticipate. And so in prayer, we, we are moving towards, in the Lord's Prayer, the conclusion, which is to say, uh, God, all of these things are in your control, and this kingdom is certain because it's your kingdom. But it starts with praying for these things because we're mem- reminding ourselves where we are in that, uh, that projection forward. Uh, the, the big theological word for that is eschatologically praying praying in light of the end Uh, but we don't have to use that big theological word we can just look at what christ does here and realize we're praying for the the future kingdom of god to come now (laughs) to come and take control and take power we know it's going forth in the preaching of the gospel but we're looking for that day when it will completely be here as we look at this prayer as a whole as well, uh, we see that Christ gives us uh, six petitions, six things we're requesting from God, and the first three are all God-focused, as, as we already noted. Those first three in verses uh, 9 and 10 uh, have, have that your pronoun. Hallowed be your name. That's a request. We'll think about a little bit this evening uh, that his name would be hallowed. That his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. And then the next three petitions, the last three, are others focused, right? They are fellow human focused. Uh, The use of the word our instead of my. It's not give me my daily bread. Give uh, uh, me forgiveness for the debts I have and do not lead me into, into temptation. It's us. It's our. And so we're praying uh, for our neighbor, our fellow believer, our fellow uh, fellow uh, human beings. Uh, this uh, symmetrical three that are God-focused, three that are neighbor-focused, should remind us of the ten commandments that god has also given us the first four of those are all god focused no other god before him and so forth and the the numbers five through six uh, five through ten of the ten commandments are neighbor focused how we relate to each other and christ gives us in prayer that we ought to pray accordingly we ought to pray that in essence, then, we, we can look at this and say that he's, he's having us pray that we would keep the law of God and that the law of God would be manifested in our lives and in, uh, in the world around us in relationship to our neighbors. And so the, the law of God, love the Lord first, should guide us in how we pray. And so often that's not how we pray, is it? So often we start up real quick, uh, dear Lord, and then we dive in with me. I'm not feeling great today. I have this problem today. I have this need today. And so we pray with a a big me focus and with the Lord first, as we love the Lord our God God with all our hearts. We are also to focus on loving him in our prayer, adoring him. It's like writing a, a love letter every time we pray to God, and I don't mean that flippantly, but we're to start by acknowledging him and not just talking about ourselves the whole time. So that's the prayer kind of as a whole in the in the big picture. And I want tonight to think a little bit more than about verse 9. Verse 9's first two lines. The first one our father in heaven our father in heaven and especially that word our i've already noted it means we're not just praying about me personally but i'm praying for you as well but it also tells us that this is a community prayer so the the lord's prayer i i hope is something that Either you pray on your own, or uh, or that it influences how you pray to God and the types of things you pray for as an individual. We ought to pray individually, but as we come to it here, Christ is teaching us a corporate thing, and and that that tells us uh, several things. One, the Lord's Prayer is the model for how our praying together should look. We attempt. Uh, that in a variety of ways, corporately, throughout the history of the church, uh, probably the one that's most uh, obviously known across different denominations is uh, the Acts uh, model, adoration, and then confession, and then thanksgiving, and then bringing our supplications or petitions. Uh, It spells out Acts, and we've done that at various times in our church's life where we try to... Well, we're all going to pray praise to God, adoration, before we move on to the next step where we start thinking about ourselves. Um, there there are other ways of doing this as well, of course, but the, this our concept, uh, our Father, this corporate prayer, we ought to be guided by Christ's prayer here in what our prayers look like. And if if we look at the prayer life of our church and say it looks nothing like the Lord's prayer, then we we probably need to reassess our church's prayer life. Or or if we don't have a church's prayer life, then the fact that he gives us a prayer, our Father should uh, instruct us in that. It also, as we use it every month, it's to be used by us as an actual prayer. Sometimes people get jumpy about that, right? It's... Well, praying something that's written on paper. Wouldn't it be better if it was just spontaneous? But realize who's putting it on paper for us. I'm not writing a prayer, shoving it in front of you and telling you we're all going to pray this prayer together. That might not be as good as just each of us spontaneously praying to God. It might be. It might not be. I, but that's not what this is, is it? This is Jesus giving us a prayer for us to pray together. And when we remember who he is, Jesus is the, the Savior through whom alone we can come before God in prayer. He is the, the Savior of sinners who gave his life and then rose victorious over the dead. And now he is in heaven interceding, pleading, petitioning for us that God would receive our prayers And so if he writes something on paper, as he has in the Gospels, and he gives it to us and says, pray this corporately, then why would we want any other words to pray corporately? That they're from Jesus himself. The Father will take pleasure in us praying the Lord's Prayer. And then third, uh, when we think of our Father here and the corporate nature of prayer, it teaches us the importance of praying with and for each other if christ gave us a prayer that's corporate our father then it must be important in his mind that you and i get together and pray that we spend time praying together and so often uh, this this isn't the case in our churches now it is true that uh, the historic situation that Christ gave the in is a little different. The Jews got together for prayer every morning and every night in their synagogues. It was a daily habit they had. And so having a prayer from Christ to use when they got together in their daily synagogues uh, is a little different than our situation. Uh, but of course, they also didn't have you're all sitting here with bibles Uh, they didn't have devotional materials they didn't have uh, sermon audio or other ways to listen to things online they didn't have uh you know john piper video series that you can just jump on youtube and watch uh they they didn't have any of those things so of course coming together on a daily basis was their devotional existence they didn't have any other option for that other than memorizing scripture on Sundays, or I'm sorry, on Saturdays, the Sabbath day, uh, and and then taking that back and thinking about it. So they had to get together daily for this, but that doesn't excuse us just because we have the other options doesn't excuse us from not praying together. And so if if, uh, we aren't praying corporately, then Christ giving us this prayer uh, really should convict us that we need to pray together The church prayer and that can be just one or two people it doesn't have to be everyone in the church to be a, a corporate prayer uh, it can be two people on a front porch with tea praying in the afternoon it can be a, a bunch of um I, I know a bunch of the mothers in our church used to pray together i think on the phone at one point it was just on the phone every friday afternoon uh, it can be a variety of things if Wednesday nights don't work for people, this is why for the past five years at our annual meetings, I've said, well, if you can't make it out to our prayer meetings on Wednesday night or join us by Zoom, then um, let me know a time that works for you and we'll start a, a second prayer meeting. It's a, it's allowed to have two prayer meetings in the church and no one has ever taken me up on that. Um, but uh, it is important for us to have some form of corporate prayer, praying with and for each other, our Father in heaven. And then we move to the first petition, hallowed be your name. I was looking at um, the the Lutheran catechism last week. I, I think it's actually Martin Luther's catechism that they still use. And uh, for each of the petition, the first several petitions, Luther felt it was important in his answer about what does this mean or what are we praying for in this uh, request to, to make the point that God doesn't need us uh, to, to pray for this, for it to be true of him. Um, he doesn't need you and I to pray that his name will be holy. His name is holy and he is holy. He doesn't need us to pray for it in the sense of he has a need. He has no need. Well, that's true. It just made for really lengthy, long-winded answers to a simple question. What are we praying when we pray, hallowed be thy name? So I like the children's catechism answer the best of seven or eight different catechisms I looked at or different answers that I looked at to what this is. I love how the children's catechism answers this. That when we pray hallowed be thy name we're praying that god's name would be honored by us and all humanity that god's name would be honored by us and all humanity and there's a lot in there there's a personal prayer or a church prayer we could say that god's name would be honored by us that we the church and i as an individual christian would not disgrace the name of God. That I wouldn't live in a way that takes his name flippantly or makes him a joke in front of others. That That's a heavy prayer request, isn't it? And then, of course, the second half of that, that his name would be honored by all humanity, all people on the planet. Now we know that that isn't currently the case. So this is an evangelistic prayer request. That God would cause his name to be honored in the hearts of people who currently don't honor him, who currently deny him his existence, his right as the creator to be honored and worshiped. This idea of Halloween, which we, we don't, I can think of one instance where most yeah. Americans use the word hallow in some form and that's Halloween we we don't think of hallow very much do we but hallow the word or being hallowed is a way of saying that you're setting something apart as uh, holy or sacred or special that uh this this object this thing this person whatever it is maybe it's a day that you're setting apart but this is being set apart as unique and special and not to be looked at as common or again treated flippantly so we're praying that god's name by us would be set aside as special well, obviously, that means how we use the name itself is important, but I think also that we could think about his reputation, uh, his uh, his actions, uh, how he is uh, presented, uh, how he is spoken to in prayer itself. Do we pray flippantly, or or as um, the the pastor uh, who's, I, I think he's the chief editor at um, Crossway Books now, who, who do e- the ESV uh, Bible, um, Douglas Sean O'Donnell, a- at this point, he, he raised even a very specific challenge. He said, is God's name hallowed in our corporate worship when we get together to worship God? And then he told a story about a church he knows. And he's admitting that this is probably a very extreme case uh, of uh, a worship in a church, but he talks about a church where they removed the pews or the seats and put in stadium seating like at a theater. They put in a big screen like at a theater, and they handed out popcorn as people entered the worship. And uh, O'Donnell has a lot in his commentary to say, about that church but let me just share his conclusion with you he writes with little or no regard to what honors god we design church around the whims of humanity and thus we are met with the oddity of a worship leader calling god's people into god's presence with buttered popcorn in his mouth what flippancy what arrogance What blasphemy! I think O'Donnell's raising a very powerful challenge to us there, isn't he? But O'Donnell and I both would warn us, we can do just as flippant and arrogant things in worship without buttered popcorn. We can do them with folding chairs or even old antique pews like we have in this room. Uh, we can do them with uh, formal suits and dresses, or whatever people wear at a formal event. You can do them, uh, take worship flippantly uh, with classical music or with a projector. Uh, It's—I'm not saying that all things are equal, but we have to be very cautious because we can—we can groan at the idea of treating worship like going to the theater. And still in our hearts treat it flippantly and we might as well act like we're going to the theater and so when we pray hallowed be your name as a corporate prayer we should we are praying in one sense that God would sanctify our hearts so that when we come to worship him we would view him as holy and treat his name as holy and reverence him As holy as he is. Hebrews chapter 12 shows us um, what the New Testament believer looks like as opposed to the Old Testament believer. The Old Testament believer went to Mount Sinai, and Mount Sinai, God was thundering and lightning, and people were terrified. And if you even touch their foot on the mountain, you die. And even Moses was trembling. Aren't you glad that we don't come to that mountain? We come to Mount Zion, and so our worship, we don't have to have any of the the seriousness that was there in Old Testament worship, do we? Well, Well, that's not what Hebrews 12 says. It says you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the angels and the saints. You've come to all of this, and then it concludes, therefore, Offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Not just that he was back then in the Old Testament, but that he continues to be a consuming fire. Now he's the God of grace as well. He's the one whom we come to through a a blood that is perfect and pure, the blood of Christ. But he is still one we are to come to with reverence and awe. With a a reverence for who he is. Think of some of the names of God. If we are to hallow his name, to set it apart as holy, think of his names, Emmanuel, which means God with us. The great I am who was and is and will always be the covenant savior, the redeemer, the creator God, our father, his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Those are just a few of the names for God, the Trinity throughout the scriptures. And each one of them is a very serious and amazing title. Now, a joy-filled title as well, isn't it? Because they all speak of a God who will relate to you. Who will be in a relationship with you, with us. That's a wonderful thing. But also wow. names that deserve our respect and honor. So that even as we rejoice in the God of our salvation... We're rejoicing that this holy, high, and wonderful one would care for us. I think I'll have a stop there for the night, and we'll come back in a few weeks here to look at the second petition. But here, just recall and notice the importance of the seriousness with which we treat God and it shouldn't stop with worship. That was just the example I used, or I borrowed from Douglas Sean O'Donnell. But, of course, whatever we do in worship ought to be reflected in the rest of our lives. So, if I am worshiping God flippantly in a place like this with other Christians, then I'll probably be serving him flippantly when I go out into the workplace or into the school or or into my home or wherever I might be. But if we are reverencing him, if we joyfully but with a serious uh, respect for God worship him together, then, of course, the call is that we would go out being reverent of him, holding his name high in how we live, living all of life as if in the presence of God. Because of course, all of life is seen and in the presence of God. And therefore witnessing to the world that we live how we live because we live for and before this God.